So my name is Brent Vauder. I don't know how many of you guys have heard of the Christian Businessmen's Connection, CBMC. Some of you guys might know us because of the big prayer breakfast we do every spring down at the convention center. This kind of a, a neat thing in Oklahoma City. We've been doing that for 37 years, I think, this year will be. Um, but uh, the heartbeat of CBMC is helping guys like you, guys who get up every day and go to work, live out our faith in our workplace. And all the statistics show that most guys, a lot of the overwhelming majority of Christian men, uh, don't even mention their faith when they're at work. It's risky, right? The culture today doesn't always favor men of faith. It's, it's, it's one of those things where it's just safer to come to work, get the job done, get along, not go into any of those no-fly zones that create controversy. The last thing we want to do is be labeled a hater or to have somebody you know, come at us for our beliefs and, and us not feel equipped or qualified to be able to defend that. So it's just easier to keep our mouth shut. But the ministry of CBMC, and I think what you guys are even doing here every week as well, is just encouraging each other to stand strong in our faith, be mature men of the faith, and be prepared to give the reason for the hope that you have, as, as First Peter says. And, and so we, we work with guys. We bring guys together just like you guys are doing. And frankly, if every church did this, CBMC wouldn't need to be there, honestly. I had that conversation with my pastor at Quell Springs just last week. If you guys, if we had a men's ministry where you guys were intentionally coming together to encourage each other in spiritual growth and to be on mission, then that's how the church expands. That's how the people at church at work who don't come here on Sunday mornings, they don't go anywhere on Sunday mornings, but they work with you 40 hours a week. If they had you intentionally uh, investing in their, their lives, that's, that's how the church expands. And and so discipleship is our DNA, and we all know the great suggestion, right? From Matthew 28, the great suggestion, therefore go and make disciples, if you feel like it, as long as it's not too risky, and teach them to obey all that I've commanded you, but frankly, Brent, you don't know all that I commanded you, so you need to get a seminary degree first. Tyler, you're off the hook. You're kind of introverted. Uh, right? I mean, we disqualify ourselves. We say, oh, I don't have the time for this. I don't know what go and make disciples looks like. Somebody's going to ask me a question I don't know the answer to. I'm not qualified for that. That's Bill's job. I'll tell you what. I'll invite him to church, and then I'm, then I'm done. That's as far as I need to go. Or I can mention a really cool men's event where we're going to shoot skeet, and we're going to eat biscuits and gravy, and I'm off the hook. That's all I have to do. And yet, Jesus, he's asked every single one of his followers, go and make disciples. Yeah, you, former tax collector. You, you right-wing extremist zealot. You, fisherman. I know who you are. I've been living with you for the last three years. You're just kind of a motley crew. And you're the guys I want to use to impact the people in these communities. So go and make disciples and teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always. In other words, I'm doing this with you. It's not the great suggestion is it it's a great commission as in co-mission as in we're doing this together don't try it without me apart from me you can do nothing john 15 i need to be in this i will lead i want you to come with me and so this mission of discipleship this challenge to every follower of christ to go and make disciples is something that god leads us into he equips us for we just have to be intentional and on mission 
But one of my favorite sayings that I heard from someplace, and I don't even know where, I can't give them credit because I don't have that good of a memory. But they said, you know, you can't teach what you don't know, and you can't lead where you don't go. And so the question, before we start talking about what does go and make disciples look like for us in 2020 in Oklahoma City, is the first question is, well, am I a disciple? And so I thought we'd spend just a little bit of time this morning just kind of refreshing our memory on what the Word of God says, what Jesus says is a disciple. And so um, we've got a discussion question, a challenge question right here at the beginning of your little sheet in front of you. Uh, How would you define a disciple? One of the things that uh, we have to start with is an understanding of what discipleship means the way Jesus used that word. I've heard some people say that discipleship is just getting guys into a small group. Is that discipleship? Am I a disciple because I show up on Thursday mornings? And so I'm not going to pause right now. As a matter of fact, you'll have time later this morning to kind of discuss at tables and maybe go back and answer this question for yourself. But how would you define a disciple? What does a disciple look like? There are a few scripture verses that are worth just going through uh, and let the Bible speak for itself, right? Instead of us trying to fill in the blanks. It has a lot to say on this subject if we simply open it up and look at it. One of them is in Luke 6, verse 40, where it says, A student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Now, why is that relevant? It's because one way of looking at a disciple is to be like our teacher. It would be an intentional learner, right? Who follows another's teaching and seeks to imitate their way of life. That might be one definition, and and it's probably a pretty good definition. A student who follows another's teaching and strives to be like that teacher. There are are a few different things that Jesus said about discipleship. He said... uh, A disciple is somebody who is a student who not only hears the truth, but applies it to their life and then puts it into action. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, John 8, 31. If you hold to it, if you you take it, you don't just dismiss it. You don't just say, man, that was a really good sermon. I like that message that that Bill taught last night in, in place of Terry. And, and I took a few notes, and man, that was really cool. And then we go about the next day, and there's no application. One of the things I've gotten in the habit of doing in my journal when I bring that to church on Sundays and I listen to my, my pastor's sermon is I'll take sermon notes, but at the bottom, the very last line I reserve for my action item. What's one thing that I can put into action from this message today? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. In other words, don't just listen to it. Do it. What's that verse in in James? James is a great book for men, isn't it? Isn't that one of your favorite epistles in the New Testament? It is mine. But in James chapter 1, I call call that that book the, the Nike book. You know, my Nike's logo, just do it. Just do it. James says, hey, don't just show up and listen to a sermon and go off and live your life the same way you did before. Put it into action, knucklehead. 
do it. James 1.22, don't just listen to the word. You're fooling yourself if you think that that's all it takes to be a disciple. He says, don't just listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Put a little Nike swoosh in your Bible next time you open up James chapter 1. That's your, that's your just do it verse. So a disciple is engaged in the mission of Christ. He's not just listening. He's actually engaged and he's applying it. A disciple is also somebody who loves others. Jesus said, they'll know you're my disciples if you love one another. I only see maybe five guys in this room who would remember that, that little worship song from the 1960s. They'll know you're Christians by your love, by your love. Don't make me sing it. But it was, a, it was a song that was real popular back in the day. We used to sing it at church all the time. But it was based off of this verse. They'll know you're my disciples if you, if you care. If you actually care about their spiritual condition. That's challenging when you apply that to the workplace. I mean, I care about the people I work with, but you know, kind of circles back to where we began. Am I willing to risk a conversation with them? Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, he says, so naturally we proclaim Christ. We warn everyone that we can and we teach everyone all that we know about Christ so that if possible we might raise some men up mature in Christ. And I just imagine that, that we warn everyone we can. This is life and death. For your co-workers, this is life and death. If they don't know Christ, I mean, I'd be, I'd be pretty callous if I didn't warn somebody who was just kind of strolling nonchalantly backwards into heavy traffic. And that's almost what we do when we go to work and we don't care, we don't love the people that we work with the way Christ loves them. A disciple is also someone who bears much fruit. John fifteen eight. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. And he says earlier in that verse, he says, I'm the vine, my Father is a gardener, and he cuts off every branch that bears no fruit, and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be more fruitful. You could unpack that. That's a whole lesson for another time. This idea of God pruning us so that we can be more fruitful. Pruning doesn't feel good. I've been pruned. You've been pruned. It's not the fondest memories, is it? The shears don't feel good. Especially when they're cutting off things that otherwise look healthy and lush. You know, that was a really big green leaf here, God. And you're sitting here and pruning that out of my life. That's, ouch. But your purpose was that this would, be more, this would make me more fruitful? Because that's his desire for each of us that we would go and bear fruit and then in Luke 14 he says in the same way if you don't give up everything you have you can't be my disciples so Jesus is talking about discipleship over and over and over again as he's pouring into these men who would later become known as the apostles and he's saying this is what discipleship looks like discipleship is you're learning from me. You're applying it to your life. You care about the condition of others. This isn't just for you. How many of you have been to a lake that's stagnant? It's covered with green pond scum. And you're like, man, I'm not drinking out of that. I wouldn't even let my dog swim in that thing. It's probably because it's got some inflow, but it doesn't have any outflow. That's what happens in our Christian life, too, when we take in all this information, but we don't actually share it with people around us. 
somebody who bears fruit, somebody who's on mission. So those are, this is just kind of a checkpoint for ourselves, for our own spirits. Before, like I said at the beginning, before we can go and make disciples, we need to make sure that we are a disciple. And I didn't do it. I don't know why. Uh, but at the bottom of the sheet, I should have had a blank line for what's my action item from this sheet. <laughs> right? What's one, one barrier that I've allowed to kind of seep into my spiritual life that I need to deal with this week? Or what's one area, maybe a goal that I want to set up for myself and share it with somebody else? And what's one goal that I want to strive for uh, so that I look more like or I'm becoming more of the disciple that Christ has called us to be? And I don't want to scare us all off because, frankly, I don't live up to this on any given week or day. I mean, I'm just as human as everybody else, and I struggle with my own busyness, Poor Tyler, he has to work with me. He knows how type A task-oriented I can be. And so I get into project mode right out of the gate. As soon as I show up, computer's on, and I'm nose down, we're, we're making things happen. And it's real hard for me sometimes to back up and just check my heart and say, man, am I listening right now or am I just doing? <laughs> um, I mean, I want to I do, I want to bear fruit, but sometimes I focus so much on bearing fruit that I'm not abiding in the vine. And I'm trying to do this mission. It's just mission. It's not co-mission at this point. It's just Brent's mission. And I think there's a checkpoint for all of us in that. So I don't want to create discouragement, just awareness. And like I said at the beginning, Jesus didn't say, hey, figure this out, get it right. If you can do this for 30 days, it will become a habit. And then you're ready to go make disciples. He knows that we're going to stumble and we're going to miss the mark on some of this stuff. But he's also encouraging us along the way, take what you've already got and start passing it on. You're going to slip back into some old patterns and you're going to constantly have to pull yourself back into healthy prayer life or quiet time or connection with other men or whatever that looks like. But, but don't let that take you off mission. Don't let the enemy, who by the way, one of his names is the accuser, right? You are not qualified make disciples because if I know what thought went through your mind last night he likes to tell us you, you, you need to step back you're not, you're not God's guy right now um, you can't go make disciples until you really deal with this area don't listen to the accuser listen to the God who sent his only son to take the guilt and remove the separation that our sin normally brings so God has given us his gift of forgiveness. He's given us the gift of his presence to go and make disciples, even as we ourselves are being transformed. And so a, def- a follower of Christ, a disciple maker, is, is one who is not only a disciple himself, but he's coming along somebody else. I used to think when I was immature in my faith, and I hadn't really studied it, I just read it, but I would see a couple of different places in 1 Corinthians where Paul's like, hey, imitate me. Be like me. And I used to think, man, he's kind of full of himself. I mean, he is the Apostle Paul. That's pretty cool. But really, I mean, I don't think I want anybody in this room to quite be like me. I know me, and you could be better than me. But Paul's not saying, hey, it's because I'm all that and then some. He's saying, hey, because I'm on the path in front of you. I'm still a work in progress. And if you read Romans 7, you see pretty clearly he still had his own struggles. And he knew it. But he also knew not to listen to the voice of the accuser that said, hey, Paul, stop. You're not the guy. He said, I'm just a guy just like you 
I'm still exploring and discovering all that Christ wants for me. And I want you to be on this path with me. Journey with me. Let's do this together. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Remember the little plastic toys we used to play with when we were kids? The barrel of monkeys? They did absolutely, that was in the days before batteries and electronics, right? Back when it was just Tinker Toys, Lincoln Logs, and Barrel of Monkeys. And a hoop with a, no, <laughs> that's going back too far. But these little plastic monkeys, and they served one purpose, to make a chain of monkeys around the room. That's about all it was good for. And of course, we as guys, we'd make it as long as we can. We'd swirl it around, see how, many, how fast we could go without them flying off, right? We did all sorts of things. But that Barrel of Monkeys, that's us. That's the way God designed us. He wants us to be linked to somebody that we're following, that we're learning from, somebody who's challenging our spiritual growth. And he doesn't want us to be the one-armed monkey. Here I am, feed me, teach me, let me follow you. He says, bring somebody else along. And then he goes even further and he says, do it in such a way that that guy's not a one-armed monkey now. Make sure that as you pass this stuff down to the next guy that he's equipped and qualified to do it for somebody else. That verse that I already mentioned in Colossians 1.28, I focused earlier on the phrase, we warn everyone that we can, right? Which is a different translation than the one I've got printed on the page. Uh, but we're proclaiming Christ, we're admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. We're warning everyone we meet, in other words so that if possible, we might help other men mature in their faith. And one of the questions that I, I put on the paper here is, what does is, what is being spiritually mature look like? How would you define spiritually mature? Man, there's probably a couple dozen words we could think of quickly. I think one thing we can agree on is that maturity doesn't happen instantly, right? There's not a sermon series download or a podcast that you can listen to that's going to instantly get you there. It's a process, just like it is in human growth and development. And so I put this little chart on here just kind of as a helpful aid to help you think about some of the major stages in spiritual maturity. You've got a new believer right out of the gate and they're excited. Man, I just made the, well, probably the biggest decision of my life. And they immediately start signing themselves up. You've seen it. You've probably done it at one point. Signing themselves up for men's groups and for couples events with their wife and they're, they're plugging in. They're coming to church you know, five times a week if they can. And they're, they're reading. They're asking a lot of questions. They're very impressionable but they don't know what they don't know yet. And so the next thing you know, you find that they're following somebody and you go, whoa, hey, yeah, that's not a podcast you should be listening to. That guy's kind of got a weird twist on what he calls the gospel, and I'm not sure that's really biblically sound. That's one way that you could help a new believer. That's one of the things that new believers need is somebody else coming along, helping them understand how to study scripture and even how to pray youth pastor in our church told me a story years ago of taking a bunch of kids from his youth group after they graduated high school. So I guess they, had, they were transitioning into the singles for the college group. And they took them all to Chili's. And this one guy who had been faithful had been coming every Sunday uh, for years as a kid. 
But they asked him, he said, hey, Mark, why don't you pray to bless the food? And this kid goes, okay, uh, God, uh, bless the food. And that's all I got. (laughs) I mean, he didn't know how to pray. And I think sometimes in the Bible Belt here in Oklahoma, we just assume that somebody else knows how to pray because they've been in church. But one of the things that we can do that's just as simple as anything else, and you can do this with a coworker. You're having some water cooler talk, and hey, what's going on? Uh, wife and me are going to kill our daughter. I think she's getting a little too physical with her boyfriend. And that's just, I don't know what to do about that. What would keep us from saying, hey, why don't you tuck into my office for a second? Let's just pray about that. Do you mind if I just pray for you? Rarely will somebody say, uh uh-uh, I don't want you to pray for me. Even if they're not a Christian, even if they're an adherent of a different faith background, rarely will somebody say, no, I don't want you to pray for me. That's a simple thing we can do, and we're modeling it too. And by praying out loud with somebody, we're giving them an idea, we're, we're teaching them without being a teacher, right, being teachy. We're showing them what does prayer look like. It's just a simple conversation with God recognizing that he's the only one that's really in control of any of our situations and so we can petition him with boldness but it's also you know new believers need a safe environment they need a place like this where they're going to get sound instruction they're going to get biblical wisdom they're going to get accountability and just encouragement because i don't see anybody here with a mask on we come as we are we're just real guys with real struggles And people need to be able to relate to somebody like that. But as they continue to grow, they may develop some healthy disciplines. Maybe they're starting to have a quiet time regularly. Maybe they are listening to that podcast every week. But they're still impressionable. They're they're taking God's word in for themselves. And and they're extremely curious, right? They're constantly asking questions. Well, are you you pre-trib or mid-trib? And, you know, oh, man. That's not the question I want you to ask me. Stay out of Revelations, would you? <laughs> but they're, they're asking questions, and they just need somebody that will say, hey, you know what, that's a good question. Let's explore that together. Let's look at that. Or maybe it's something that you already know, and they're taking a piece of Scripture that by itself might lead somebody in one direction until you come back and say, you need to, you need to balance that with the whole of Scripture. See how that's applied all through Scripture, because when we do that, we get a better perspective and so that's another way that a new believer or a maturing believer needs a guy like us to come alongside him. And frankly, some of my best moments have been when people have asked me questions that I don't know. <laughs> and so I go back to the person that I'm connected to. It's like, okay, help me understand how you would answer this. Um, and now we both grow in the process. Not to mention a, you're modeling how to, how to find answers and then pass them on to the people we need. As people mature in their faith, they begin serving, they're plugged in, they're leading small groups perhaps, they're engaged. Uh, community tends to be important for a mature believer. And so they need from us just encouragement to keep going, put them in a place where their spiritual gifts are being used, opportunities for leadership. Um, but at the same time, uh, that shouldn't be the end game. I mean, we do want people to be plugged in, in in whatever area that they are gifted to build up the body of Christ. But hopefully that's not the end game. I mean, what's the difference between a 35-year-old man and a 35-year-old father? 
one of them's got a kid. Are we reproducing? That's where we want to get to. That's the bear much fruit that Jesus was talking about. Are we growing in our own relationship? Are we maturing in our own faith? Are we living it out in front of the people that we work with? And are we reproducing? Are we bringing them on this journey with us? And so those, I would just offer those, and, and you can discuss further what got missed, what, what's not in, I mean, you could unpack this metaphor of parenting and raising a child up or a new believer up into full maturity. We could unpack that for quite a while. But uh, we can discuss that when we have the discussion time here in a couple minutes. But, but what we, where we're landing is that discipleship starts with us and it happens in intentional relationships that we build with others around us. There was a really good movie back in the 50s, and I can't for the life of me find it anymore. Um, it used to be on YouTube, and somebody deleted the video, and now it's not even there anymore. But it was called The Gospel Blimp. And it was only like a 30-minute movie, and you're going to laugh. No, I was not alive in the 50s. But I've seen it. <clears throat> the premise is so absolutely absurd, it's almost dorky. But the idea was all these church couples were having this backyard barbecue and they looked down across these little fences at the neighbor about two houses down and they were on their back patio <gasps> having a beer. Oh man, those people need Jesus. Oh, they need Jesus. How are we going to get Jesus to those beer drinking people? Hmm. And so they devise a scheme. They're going to buy a blimp. They're going to fly the blimp over the neighbor's yard and they're going to drop a bunch of gospel tracts in their backyard. Bam, they're going to be Christians. That's going to work. We're excited about this. Raise money. I'm going to be the captain of the blimp. I'm going to go get a hat, a uniform. And they did that. And so this whole movie is about these couples from church who decided they wanted to evangelize. You know what? Don't stop with those guys. Let's evangelize the whole town. Let's just fly this blimp everywhere. We'll drop tracks everywhere. And we'll even put speakers on the side of the blimp. And we'll, we'll broadcast sermon messages really loud all over the city. And it's a, like I said, it's a dorky film people trying to mow their yard and they can't because there's all these tracks in the yard they have to pick up first. It's just dorky. But at the end of the film, they find out that those neighbors accepted Christ. It was like, it worked. It happened because one of the couples that was originally in that first group had stepped out of the group, gone down to those couples, found out, just befriended them, used to go to the beach with them, and they were like, oh, man, you're, you're playing with fire. You're going to the beach with some beer-drinking people. You're, you're going you're gonna to be corrupted. And it turns out they got to walk that family through a cancer diagnosis. And because of their love, they had the opportunity to influence that family. I share that because discipleship is not us being preachy at work. It's us building intentional relationships, inviting that guy to coffee, Offering to pray for somebody and say, hey, is this something that you want to just grab a breakfast maybe every Wednesday morning? And let the Holy Spirit take it from there. Paul said in Second Timothy, he said, hey, don't just, don't just keep this to yourself. The stuff that, that I'm teaching you, pass it on to other men, but do it. Use, have, a, have a process so that as those men mature, they are also catching the vision for doing this with somebody else. One of the things that we have the opportunity to do is, hey, this, what we're doing here right now is meant for you to go do this with somebody else too. That's the multiplication model. That's how Jesus started with 
12 and ended up with what we see today, Christianity around the world through the, de- through the centuries. So discipleship should develop others in such a way that they're then equipped to be able to do the same for others. And there's, uh, I've, I don't know, Bill, how much you want to talk through this, but Crossings and CBMC partnered last year uh, to make some discipleship material available to you through your church's website. And it's not the end all to be all, but I will tell you, I've, it's, it's material I'm very familiar with. I use it with everybody I meet with. It's solid. It's great for a new believer who's just kind of grappling with, do I really do I really know anything? It's even great for what I call pre-believers. Somebody who's like, yeah, I've heard about the Christianity thing. I'm not sure I'm all in yet. I mean, you base a lot on the Bible, but isn't that kind of a collection of fairy tales? I mean, there's a little bit of history in there maybe, but isn't that mostly just stories? And so there's a whole chapter in this of, is the Bible credible? And even if you're, you've already checked the box on that one and said, you know what, I've made a decision, I'm going to believe it, even if I don't understand it, I choose to believe it. There's still really good material in there that will help you be able to stand firmly on the truth of Scripture yourself. But it's, it's some good material that takes a person all the way from, is the Bible credible? Who is God? Why did Jesus come? Through my new identity. Yeah, the new identity. Because the old me, I don't like so much. That's the me that made a bunch of mistakes. But our new identity in Christ, how do we battle temptation? What is this whole Holy Spirit thing and how does that work? I mean, it, it kind of provides a, a road map, if you will, that we can follow as we're meeting with somebody else, maybe that coworker on Wednesday mornings at breakfast. And we grow in the process, and they grow, and in the process they're learning, they've got a road map that they can follow. So we're all going down a trodden, well-trodden path, if you will, that uh, we can easily bring somebody else along after us. So I would, exp- I would encourage you, the, the URL is at the bottom of your sheet, um, just sign up, and if you have any questions, call Bill, uh, ask Tyler, um, ask any of us at CBMC. We'd, we'd love to help you out with that resource. It's pretty solid, but it's, it's good for yourself, but it's really designed to be done with somebody else. And the best part about it is you don't have to be the teacher. All you have to do is facilitate the conversation, read the little paragraph together, and then when it asks a question, you know, Randy, how did you answer that question? Oh, that's interesting. Here's how I answered it. And you have a little bit of good discussion, and then you move on. And so you kind of let the material be the guide. And it's a, it's a fantastic resource for helping somebody else mature in their faith. So 